0: Hello there and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We are real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. I'm Ando, with me is Mitch, and it has been a pretty interesting week and an even more interesting weekend. How have you been, Mitch?
1: Yeah, been good this week. Uh, got out to the game at Bankwest over the weekend and... Um, wasn't really the result I was after, or the game I was after either. So, um, lots to talk about in regards to that. But, um, yeah, bit of a bad. How week was it out of Bankwest? Did he get rained on? No, we didn't. Get, we were dry throughout the game, which was lucky. Uh, Bankwest is designed quite well, and dep- unless you're sitting r- like right on the field like right on the sideline, you're basically going to be covered. Like there's good coverage there. So most of the crowd was dry throughout the game, which was good. It was more the Wallabies that were out there getting soaked. But look, it it wasn't the atmosphere that I was hoping for. um, And it wasn't the game that I was hoping for either. So I think we'll chat about that as we get into things a little bit later on. But I think it just goes to show that we really just need to, like rugby Australia needs to stop hosting games in Sydney for a while because there's no atmosphere. The fans just don't get behind the Wallabies anymore.
0: And um, they just don't perform well in Sydney. Maybe that should have been one of the points to talk about for the game. But why don't we just quickly delve into that now? Um, There's an interesting thing that I've been considering about whether or not Rugby Australia should try and like manufacture an active supporters group or something like that. And actually, like, obviously their money is not particularly uh, present right now. So not going to be throwing money at these things. But even if they were able to get a couple of just diehard fans to be revving the crowd up, be organizing chants, say, everybody get to the game an hour early and we're going to practice with your chants beforehand, (laughs) just trying to get some level of like activity and engagement, because you have the Argentinian fans who are just passionate singing for so much of the game. And then you have... The, the Australian crowd just sitting there just having a chat with their mates next to them and not really active supporting what's going on on the pitch.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting one. Uh, it's something I've been thinking about a lot this week Out uh, a few weeks ago when they played the all blacks at ANZ stadium, there was no atmosphere whatsoever. I put that down mostly being to the fact that it was pouring rain in the there wasn't a big crowd for such a big stadium. I was kind of hoping that being in a smaller venue at Bank West, you would be able to hear things a bit better. When when they, they played up in Brisbane a few weeks ago, the crowd really got behind them. And just sitting in, at home watching the game on the TV, you could actually hear the crowd cheering and singing, waltzing Matilda and, and Aussie, 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 and, and getting behind them. And I think that really that was what helped the Wallabies perform so well and actually beat the All Blacks. But in Sydney, uh, there wasn't a big crowd but the Argentinian fans that were there and it, it almost felt like there was more of them were very vocal and their their sound was reverberating around that stadium and the Argentinians on the field could hear it. But there was a few blokes near us that were trying to get some waltzing Matilda or Aussie, Aussie, Aussie going. And it just fell flat.
0: No one well, that's my point. Care. Like as, as contrived as practicing, actually, if I went to a game because I don't, I haven't been to a huge amount of rugby games where there's been like active support. I wouldn't really inherently know what to sing. Like I would have what sing Matilda, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Uh, not sure if there's anything else. And you look at something like the premier league, there are so many chants that go around that are just basically the same thing, same song, but slightly adapted for your team. And I don't see why there isn't some work done by uh maybe a supporters group or Rugby Australia to just pay someone like two hours a week for like a month to come up with this stuff. It's not that hard to be coming up with some basically something that's gonna be helping to create more of an atmosphere at the game. But yeah, I don't but I know. Just, I
1: also feel that there's just, just there's no interest in in the Sydney market at the moment. There's too many sports on. People have already disenfranchised by the Wallabies product. They're not going to get out there and support them when we've been performing so badly. There were in fairness, there were a few guys that were up there trying to get something going and no one was interested. It just fell flat. Mm. I remember sitting back and watching after the game um, in the post-match interviews for the Brisbane Test, you could hear in the background that the, the ground or Suncorp was actually playing Waltzing Matilda over the, the stadium speakers and everyone was getting involved and singing and they were all happy because we'd won. But that's the kind of thing that they were doing throughout the game. They were actually actively playing that so people knew what to sing. They yep. had a spruker there this week that was trying to do that but the best thing he did was said, you know, vote on the app for what game, what song you want to hear at halftime, <laughs> and it was "Horses" yep. by Daryl Braithwaite.
0: Which every they, time, every
1: single time, it's not a, it, it's Australian, but it's not, it's not something that you're going to get up and sing to, like mm. to to get the wallabies going. They needed to be putting like the chant over the speakers. They just need to record yeah. someone going, yeah. "Come on, boys, let's do a few Aussie, Aussie, Aussies." Put it over the speaker, people will do it. They did it at the World Cup and people went behind it it wasn't specifically tailored to any team it was this weird little clapping like japanese song but people did it and it just got people involved (laughs) well it it just adds a bit
0: of fun doesn't it
1: exactly that's all it takes so i think that's
0: that's something they need to look at next year specifically for the sydney crowd because it's just if there's no atmosphere there well mate that's a good talking point that we've just natted on about in a really fun (laughs) way so why don't we quickly jump into some of our socials and we'll run through what we're talking about tonight
1: Yeah, love it. So we are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page. So go and give us a follow and a like there. And we're also on Twitter at at pick underscore drive rugby. We've also got our own Twitter handles, but we sort of go between tweeting ourselves and tweeting on the official podcast page. So go and give us a a like and a follow on all of those.
0: What's your uh, personal Twitter handle, mate? Just shove it out there, since oh, we mostly geez. chat rugby put, on it anyway. You've,
1: you've put me on
0: on the spot. I think it's <laughs> okay, uh, I am it's Mitch underscore rugby. I think that sounds pretty much right. And I am at the world of Ando. So the world. of Ando. I made that like ten years ago. It sounds so contrived, but oh, mate, so did uh, I.
1: I've just that's trying how... to
0: trying to find a Twitter handle that has Ando Anderson is it in it is bloody impossible. So <laughs> that was the best I could do. No, nah, that's good. That's good enough. <laughs> okay, so for tonight, um, we're gonna just touch on a couple of news points. Is I wouldn't really call it spicy this week because I don't know. There's just a couple of things we're touching. It's kind on. of it's like a mild. A it's a mild dish. news this week, sort of like yeah. a mild curry. Yeah, it's kind of like a mild curry. One that your your gran or your mum would probably still say is really really spicy, but yeah. we we don't think so. We don't. But think it's so. it's like still a good stuff. one. Like it's a butter chicken level of news. Yep. like it's still good. Yeah, to go to. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. um now once we've done that we're going to head into the main course of the evening which is the blood cup game six review before we hit up a couple of listener questions at the end um so the first thing that we wanted to touch up with this lamb korma of news <laughs> is the end of the fox sports era so um what is it 25 years of rugby coverage that they yeah. have given to the game and i know that mitch and i um crap all over fox rugby and have for the last 12 months or so but you cannot deny that the growth of professionalism in australian rugby has been to the support that fox rugby have given to the game and it's only in the last few years that's really started to shift that narrative and that um the impact that they're having on the so there's a lot of thanks and a lot of kind words which have been said by rugby australia to fox sports they put out a really good montage video the other week about every of some of the great moments in australian rugby that had been in partnership with fox sports which is pretty cool um one of the interesting things and i don't know how long we want to talk about this though but did you see that photo that was put up of all the of a bunch of the fox sports employees sitting on the side sideline of the game or in the in the seats at the end of the match no i didn't i didn't see that no anyway cool so it's at it's at the game i'm sat bank west and it's either before or after but You've just got a significant section of the seating taken up with fox sports employees people who are responsible for behind the scenes and uh some of the on screen talent as well and one of the comments that was made is wow how many white middle-aged men are there here um the the diversity card was definitely not being played at any point throughout there and it's, it's an interesting point to look at and go is is that something that can change yes in my mind it's, it's pretty obvious um and then is it something that should change in my mind again yes i i think it's pretty obvious rugby is an incredibly diverse game and i don't think that you're going to be drawing in or even really um uh, having young kids look at these people who are who they don't have any identification with when you look at the actual australian the wallabies how many players are of pacific islander heritage close to if not more than 50 percent and yet our commentary team is entirely white guys and so i'm hoping that there is some change within the nine broadcasting uh team that they put together so what do you think about all that mitch do you reckon there are some particular people that would be adding do you think i don't know i'll just throw it over to you yeah i
1: mean i definitely think we can um we can do better with who we're selecting to have a bit of a chat around rugby people that probably have played a game of rugby within the last 40 years might be a good start. Um, (laughs) Not these guys that have been sitting there and and lash on about back in my day, we, uh, we used to hit and ruck and scrum and, you know, all that kind of jazz, but um, yeah, someone who's got a bit more current experience would be good to see. I think getting that diversity uh, person in there as well, like Lou Ransom, we've sort of earmarked her as someone who'd be good to see make that transition across there's certain spots on the panel that don't necessarily need to be done by an, a white male. Um, Lou Ransom is a is a perfect example of that sort of host category. Um, if we look outside of that, though, there's not really anyone else that jumps to mind as who I would choose in terms of like an, a, a Pacific Island player or someone of
0: Morgan Ciriu of- straight away jumps out to me. Yeah, um, okay. as an an analyst would be he'd be excellent Any in insight that he gives that's just one person that immediately jumps to mind yeah
1: yeah yeah fair okay i overlooked him um i just he's working haven't with heard 10 though i'm not sure yeah if he i've, I've heard yeah. I, i've just heard that with his latest sort of rugby ruckus stuff that it sounds like ben kimber's made the transition across the stand and he hasn't <laughs> been sort of put put forward for anything so he's already the the head of um the classic wallaby so i think he's got a bit of on his plate there mm. but yeah outside of that i mean curtley bill would be someone who would be of interest but he's still playing so outside, he's still at
0: rassing yeah yeah I,
1: I don't know who else you could be looking at maybe someone like Tatafi plotter now potentially
0: he'd, he'd be he'd, fantastic he'd be good he'd, yeah
1: but i i don't know if he's been contacted or i mean that that would be a good a good pick but yeah, just getting that bit of diversity on there to represent the game. We've got it. I'd also love to see some of the Wallaroos, pla- yeah, the current players or past players, come in and, and do a bit of um, coverage as well because they bring a different perspective to the game. Um, actually, in, in saying that, it was quite interesting last few weeks ago out at ANZ. They had... Um, oh, I've just had a mind blank what his name is. Uh, he does the, the... He does the sport uh, the.
0: The the driving say on it, um say it
1: on Nova
0: Matt, <laughs> uh, Matt I have no idea
1: Matt Jagrute that's it he okay, was the yep. he's the MC that does has been doing all the stuff at the stadiums in Sydney this year oh
0: so, yeah.
1: um but at the ANZ game he was joined by Grace Hamilton who's the current captain of the, oh yeah yeah cool so she was yep. out there sort of having a, a chat with the fans and sort of trying to g the crowd up a bit um and that was that was good because it was a little bit more legitimate I mean he's a hmm. He's a presenter for Nova. He's got all of the the right voice and that kind of thing to to say what he needs to say in the right way. But he doesn't really have any idea about rugby. So it was good yeah. to have her there, and, and that would be a perfect position, a perfect transition for her to move into something potentially with uh, Nine and, and Stand next year.
0: Well, on that point, um, there's been some further hints and kind of confirmations of the team that's being put together. So, on the Aussie Rugby Show, which is a rival podcast, um, they finished up a week early. So, their final podcast, as likely to be as a team, was last week. And so, I had a bunch of questions going, Well, why are they finishing up a week early? They haven't even been able to commentate on the last or comment on the last game. And my theory is that with the new contracts that they've signed with, uh, nine that they're not allowed to be in other media that's that's my theory and there were even questions or comments um who was it again it was drew mitchell and sean maloney sean maloney drew mitchell and sean maloney making jokes about uh how they wouldn't be allowed to or wouldn't be able to come back on um so it's pretty looking yeah it was pretty it was kind of
1: pretty obvious if you go back and watch it yep. like um yep um stephen hoyles who's the other host was sort of throwing barbs at uh, Sean Maloney, particularly around, you know, you guys are off to work with nine and he just like, he gave it away basically. Yep. It's very yep. obvious that he signed something. Drew Mitchell was a little bit more coy about it, but uh, it was <laughs> kind of obvious that there was something on, going on there. So we'll see. Looks like we'll be seeing Sean Maloney doing some commentary next year and, and Drew Mitchell in some form. Who knows if he's on the panel, if he's doing interviews, who knows,
0: but good to see them. Also Greg Clark as well. So Greg Clark has put a tweet out saying, uh, thanks to everyone for the nice words about Fox sports, Oz rugby coverage over the last 25 years. Can't reply to everyone. Thank you all. It's been a blast. I haven't hung up the microphone. So see you in 2021. Clarky. So whether that means he's going to be involved with the kind of match day, match day, calling of the game because that's his main thing that he does or whether he might take on a kind of rugby show style host or pundit within that who knows but he he's pretty well respected um i mean the only thing i would say the the only thing i would say into that that might throw a
1: spanner in your little plan is that he already has for the last few years been doing um, a lot of the sevens commentary Mm. for world rugby so he's actually moves around with world rugby to the different host nations and does their commentary there along with sean maloney so it
0: that could be that he's going to just transition into doing a bit more sevens calling i don't know cool okay well i think we'll finish up there and why don't we just move straight into the australia versus argentina game we don't want to have a like cool little transition song yeah yeah okay
1: let's go three two one boom Okay, let's talk about the final game of rugby for Australia for 2020. Now, this game was the last round of the Tri-Nations and it saw Australia hosting Argentina at Bankwest Stadium in Parramatta. It was, if you can believe it, another draw, 16-all. Now, is this is this the same scoreline even for yep. the last three draws we've had this year?
0: Uh, I can't remember what, what the New Zealand draw was. The New was. Zealand was one
1: that- was 16-all. Then yes, so, yes, yes. So I think we've drawn three times this year, and all of them have been by the same margin. So that's um that's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. So we've got we've got some questions that we're going to focus on in our sort of analysis of the game. Um, should I run through them all first, Ando, or should we just get into it as we get to it? Yeah, yeah. Let's quickly run through it and then jump in. All right. So the first one we're going to talk around the anthem. So if you haven't seen the game, we definitely recommend you get out there and have a look at the anthem because. Um, It was phenomenal, but we'll chat about that. So the question is, who was this the best Australian national anthem we've ever seen? Second question is, who will be happier with the result, Australia or Argentina? Will Australia ever learn to take the three or just take the points? Were the cards issued in the game justified and what has to change moving forward for the Wallabies? Now, I just want to say one thing before we do dive right into the game. There is a few things that we could potentially talk about around the Wallabies team selections, captaincy, that kind of thing. Uh, Next week, we're going to have another pod. We're going to do our review of the Tri-Nations tournament as a kind of whole. We'll look at all three teams and how they went and that kind of thing. Maybe even look towards 2021 and what needs to change for each team, that kind of thing. So a lot of that kind of analysis will be next week. So we're going to focus mostly just on this game and the Wallabies' performance, um, but we will get into those broader categories sort of next week. We might touch on them briefly in this one, but don't worry if we don't get to everything, we'll cover it next week. All right, that's enough. Let's get into it. So Ando... Was this the best Australian national anthem we've or you ever seen?
0: Yes, because our national anthem inherently sucks. <laughs> and I think anything that makes it more significant and meaningful is a good thing. So you look at the Irish national anthem, you look at the New Zealand or the Argentinian anthem or the American anthem, and in their own ways, they have uh, some energy, they have some heart, they have some something that kind of unites people. But the Australian National Anthem is, in my mind, boring as poop. <laughs> dull. And so yeah, just say, just I would dull. say dull, yeah. Oh, it's dull. And so having this moment with Olivia Fox from Newtown Performing Arts, um, singing in the Ayora language was, in my mind, both symbolically meaningful, but also just a, a really significant step by the Wallabies for actually trying to put First Nations people in their kind of rightful place within the sporting landscape as well. Um, Because the Wallabies as a team are so diverse. um, The participation of Indigenous Australians hasn't been incredibly numerous. I think I was reading that there's been 14 Indigenous players that have played across the history of the Wallabies. Kirtley Beale being the most recent one. So that's not a huge number, unlike in some other sports such as AFL, which has a and and nrl which have really high um participation rates but i just think it was really really significant very well done and i would love to see it be something that continues by the wallabies and even gets adopted by other uh sports as well
1: Yeah, no, I thought I found it very moving. Being out there at the game, um, I knew that they were going to do this. They had sort of made it public that this was what they were planning, particularly in the fact that they were wearing their Indigenous jerseys. Mm. But um, I didn't realize that the Wallabies themselves would be so into it. So I was out at the game and I was out there singing the anthem along. Um, but watching the Wallabies perform it, they were like belting out. They all knew the words. And I I was really, really proud of that. Like, not only are they performing the, the Indigenous version of the anthem they've actually learned the words as well and they were singing it like brandon pangra was belting it out even louder than he was belting out the english version so i just found that very moving um and i think that's just it's such a good step forward for the wallabies i f- i feel like they missed that chance the first time we wore this indigenous kit earlier this year I th- there was talks that something like this would happen but I was so gra- glad to see it. The fact that they also didn't use that same sort of backing track that they've used all the time of this sort of um, orchestral version of the anthem. They actually just, it was like a guitar sort of instrumental version, it was or acoustic version, sorry. So yeah, it was awesome. It was really moving to be there and to hear it. Um, and I would really hope that it gets pushed to be our kind of adopted anthem for the Wallabies, particularly moving
0: forward. Agreed. Um, Michael Hooper, or was it? I think Hooper or O'Connor was saying that they found out on the Monday that they were going to be uh, singing it, and so they had they spent time every single day in the lead up to the match, making sure that they'd learnt the words and knew the words, so that they could do it the respect they deserve. So yeah, credit. There's Keep actually going. do it again on
1: the Wallabies Instagram. If you go and have a look of them actually rehearsing it, so I'd I'd recommend you go out and have a look at that. It's it's quite it's quite moving as well. I also cool. thought, um, found it quite. Uh, proud to, to hear the story of how it came about. So the Wallabies, when they announced they were playing in these kits um, earlier this week, they were out at, uh, what was the school? It was, it was the kit was launch. It, yeah, it, it was, was a Newtown. kit launch. Where, yeah. where did Olivia come from? It's Newtown Sports so, High School? Yes,
0: Newtown, no performing arts. Performing arts,
1: yes. Yeah. So they were there for the kit launch for that. And she sang the anthem for the Wallabies and whoever was there. And Dane Hale at Petty was standing next to... Um, yeah, and yep. just said like this is amazing we need to do this why why can't we do this at the game and he said yeah I agree and then they spoke to Rob Clark and he said I agree as well and, and they did it so in the space of a week they've just turned that around and, and made that such an impactful thing and I, I think that's really great also to see I, I'm really proud of Rugby Australia for being able to adapt something so quickly and just get it done and it was the right yep. thing to do so that's another agreed. good thing to see agreed
0: Okay, should we move on to the next question? Uh, who will be happier with the result, Argentina or Australia? What do you think?
1: Oh, this is like, when we first asked me this question, I was like, well, obviously it would be Argentina, but there's actually two sides you can look at this. So Australia would be happy with the fact that they drew and didn't lose it because they came down from seven points. They came back from ten seven points. points. Ten points ten at points one down, point. Um, so they were they were trailing for most of the game. The scoreboard. So, in some ways, you could say Australia would be happy they didn't lose it, although they did have Reese Hodge did have that shot at full time. Um, but when you listen, when you listen to the post match interviews, um, Dave Rennie was very much sort of talking of the point like, "Oh, you know, we I was happy with our second half performance because we came back from ten points down, and it was a shame that Hodge missed it, but you know, he wasn't too upset by it." Whereas Ledesma said, "I I really felt like the boys deserved to win this one." So for them, I can see Argentina will be upset that they didn't win the game, but also just, I think, happy with the performance that they put in and the fact that that result actually meant that they came second in the tournament and we came third. So mm-hmm. really, it was probably the best outcome for them apart, apart from winning.
0: And I mean, realistically, the, the position on the ladder wasn't going to change anyway. Beyond second or third. So, no, it wouldn't, but it
1: would have meant that Australia would have finished
0: second if we had got that kick. Correct. And they would have come third. Yeah. Yeah. And look, when you consider this game, I think very simply, Australia will be more disciplined um, or Argentina will be, if we use the language of the question. And that comes especially true or clear when you consider the controversy that the Argentinians had prior to the game. And we didn't really speak about this because it's not something I want to get too in depth into. Um, but if you're unaware, three significant players when the Argentinian team, particularly Pablo Matera, the captain, were stood down by um, the UAR, so Argentinian rugby, because of very, very racist tweets which were discovered on their Twitter profiles from, what was it, about eight years ago? Yeah, eight, nine that. years ago? Um, when there were much, much younger men. Um, they have subsequently... Been reinstated into the team, although they weren't allowed to play, but they were back in the squad uh, on the weekend. So Matera was with the squad, just didn't play. And um, it's, it's very, very touchy and controversial waters but and we don't really want to go into that right now but my point in that was that would have been so disruptive and so um, unsettling for the team so for them to actually be able to still rally together and put in a very strong defensive effort with one very well worked try speaks volumes to how far they have come as a team and what Mario Ledesma is doing for them
1: I mean I I agree kind of with what you're saying like going into the game I think they would have been happy to take take a draw and not to lose to Australia. But if you look at the way the game actually played out, I think they would be disappointed with the result because at halftime they were up 13 to th- to three. Uh 13-6, well, sorry. Um, so they had a fairly decent lead and they put on some more points early in the second half as well. So they got up to 16 nine in the 60th minute. Um so I feel like they they had the potential to to they would have wanted to see this game out as a victory, not as a draw. Um, So I I feel like they would be disappointed with the draw not to actually get the victory.
0: Yeah. Look, so I think as much as we wish that, that there were more positives that we could take out of this game for Australia undoubtedly, Argentina are going to be happier with this result. I'm not yep. saying they're going to be over the moon because they'll have been wanting to push for the win regardless. But considering, like we've mentioned, all the challenges that they face to even yep. take part in this tournament, the fact that they can come away with a draw at the end of this and finish second overall is uh, very, very deserving for them. Um, the third question that we had is, will Australia ever learn to take the three? So the reason why I created this question was because I was just so incredibly frustrated at the fact that on a night where weather impacted the continuity of the play, and where we were so well aware of the Argentinian defence strength that they were putting on display, and they'd shown when we previously played them turning down kickable penalties to go for the corner, and I just—it's really calling me to causing me to question the decision-making of Michael Hooper as a captain, which I feel dirty saying, but I'm saying it anyway. I I just, I don't agree with the repeated turning down of penalty kicks. Argentina showed that you can beat New Zealand by kicking penalties. And I'm not saying I want every game to be won by penalties the entire way, but I'm saying take the opportunities when they present.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a similar sort of fashion, like to the point that you just said, like in in that first half, we took, we, Hooper's turned down four shots at goal to go for the try line, uh, to go for the corner, and and lost the ball on every single one. And then in the looking my notes, it was the 14th minute. Kremer gets a yellow card, so they go off. He goes off. Sorry, so Argentina down to 14 men. The penalties within Argentina's half, and Hooper then takes a shot at goal. But you've got a man advantage. It goes to show mm. later in the game when they get a second yellow card that they, take, they go for the corner and they actually end up scoring a try off the driving mall. Now that is the instance where you go for the corner, not for the points, because yeah. you've got a man advantage. And particularly in number five, he's instrumental in the lineout, So you're already going to have a one man advantage in that subsequent mall. That's when you should be pushing your advantage to try and get the seven instead of the three. So it just yeah. it's kind of backwards that he would be throwing away points when it's just like it's not on. And then when you've got, actually got an advantage... You go to you go for the points. Then I mean, by that in his defence, at by that point in the game, they needed to come away with something because they had been down in Argentina's half for uh, twenty minutes and they hadn't scored any points yet. So I can see why he took those points at that time. But yeah, it's just it makes it does make you question the Wallabies' setup and game plan.
0: Yep, and that's. That's the, one of the big problems that I found throughout the match was it seemed to be, and it's something that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, that our players just aren't executing properly. Like you saw in the second half that a smart tactical kicking game turned things around for the Wallabies and they're able to call back from being 10 points down based on the back of smart kicking. Why aren't you doing this in the first half? Why do you need to go into the sheds and have the coaches tell you what to do? in order to be able to change your game plan. I mean, there are enough breaks throughout the game where like glorified water boys, i.e. the attack coaches are coming onto the field and talking to the players. Why isn't the message getting across? Or if if it is getting to the players, why aren't they executing on it during the halves? Why do they need to wait for the first half to be over for that specifically to be communicated? I just, I'm really struggling with the current Wallabies and the way in which they, but like, aren't executing on a game plan. But then I guess what we're seeing is the lack of continuity and composure from a team that has lost their two most experienced playmakers. And this was O'Connor's first game back from a f- pretty lengthy injury. So it's, I don't know. I'm just frustrated. I'm not sure if that's coming across.
1: <laughs> oh, it's coming across, but you're not alone. I think everyone's currently feeling this at the moment. Like No one would say that this has been the Wallabies um, that we were expecting from this mm. sort of tournament. They started off so well. They grew with the All Blacks in the first game of the year and everyone was so sort of hyped up and thought, oh no, you know, they played so well. They played with passion and desire and they were executing things really well. This is the side that we've been waiting for for the last sort of 10 years, really. And um, it just kind of went nowhere. They never really expanded beyond that.
0: It's, uh, look, I don't know what else to say. Otherwise I'm just going to start whinging and we don't want (laughs) that to happen. So I think, uh, you know what? If we actually answer the question, will Australia ever learn to take the three? I think, yes, we will. I think we will learn to take the three. I, mean, um, I think that Rennie and the coaching staff have enough IQ and rugby intelligence between them that they're going to thrash it into the players over the course of the next Super AU season, or at least um, when they next get the squad back together.
1: I mean, my question comes down to, and I, we don't, we're obviously not going to have an answer to this because only probably Dave Rennie or Michael Hooper could answer this question, but is... Is Michael Hooper's approach personal? Is it something that he's doing? He thinks it's the best option to go for the corner, not go for the points? Or is Dave Rennie telling him to back yourself for the first few and then let's go for the points after that? Because mm. he did go for the first four and then he realized that it wasn't happening. So he he turned around and he started to take the points when they were on offer. And that's how he clawed the points back. So I don't know whether... It's something that Michael Hooper is being told to do or it's something that he's inherently doing. We do know that he is the kind of player that wants to score tries. He wants to score the more points and he will back that. We've seen that in his captaincy seat through the Waratahs. Um, and so, yeah, but at the same time, when the penalties were called, you could see James O'Connor was kind of looking at the posts and Hodge was walking in to take the shot and Hooper's pointed to the corner. So that makes me think that it is actually Hooper and it's not a coach thing. But again, we don't really know the answer to that.
0: Yep. Well, the fourth question we have, uh, were the cards justified? So this game saw four cards, three yellow, one red. So the first one was Marcus Kremer for no, his clean out. On, two yellow, one uh, red, wasn't it? No, 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 no. There was a yellow card for Lucas Polo. Um, the Argentinian. Oh, yes. yes, yes sorry. minute as well. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. Um, so you had Marcos Crema, who got yellow carded in, according to what I'm looking at, the 16th minute for mm-hmm. his clear out on James O'Connor. Uh, you then had Michael Hooper, who got yellow carded for his clear out on Sanchez. Sanchez. I'm pretty sure. Yep. yep. Uh, then you had Lucan Salakai Loto, who got red carded in the 6th minute for his high shot on one of the Arjunba. Numbers. Um, I think exactly it was his opposite. Was. Okay, cool. Um, and then Lucas Polos. Uh, Palos also got yellow card in the 60th minute as well. I can't remember that specific instance though. Um, so look, I think through all of these penalties, they're pretty They're pretty tough. Kremers was fairly harsh in my mind, but as soon as Kremers was given a yellow, then Hoopers had to be given a yellow as well. Um, the one that I have absolutely no problems at all with was Lucan Salakai Loto's. Yep. That was a red card every day of the week. And that was just horrible tackle technique. He had every opportunity to go low in that tackle and he didn't. And he collected with shoulder directly to the head with force. So it's just lazy and
1: poor tackle technique. Exactly. There's really no excuse for players of his height. Like our second rowers now need to know that the way that the game has been officiated for the last six weeks, that you can't go into contact standing up ever. You just need to go low when you're that tall. There's yep. no excuse for you to go yep. high. The only person on the field that could probably get away with it is Nick White because even standing up, he'd probably hit
0: some bloke on the shorts. <laughs> on the hip, yep. And so, look, you go back to Kremer's one. Um, I don't see how there's not mitigating circumstances. Maybe that's why his wasn't a red because O'Connor... It's it's like somewhat broken play. And O'Connor steps to the side right before the contact happens, ducks down, and Kremer kind of falls slightly on top of him, but cops him in the head as well, doesn't really wrap the arms, but it's all just weird broken play. I just know I thought that the TMO was pushing um Gardner to give the yellow. I, I actually think he was pushing him to give a red. Kept interjecting, going, "Oh, there was contact to the head. Contact to the I head." I mean, there was contact to the head. That was the first thing. Um, mm.
1: So, if I look at both of these breakdowns, they they actually they're similar, but they're different. So, the first one for me is a yellow card, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Wallaby supporter and and I would just want to see the opposition get yellow cards. But he does he he um he cocks his shoulder. He doesn't make an attempt to wrap. Yeah, yep. So that in of itself is is the mitigating factor in that instance. So he's, it's a shoulder charge. So he's shoulder charged into the ruck and he's made contact with O'Connor's head. He's lucky that O'Connor had sort of fallen forward and where he hit him was sort of the back of his neck, sort of on the collar of his jersey. And it wasn't direct contact to the head because if it was, it would have been a red card. For me, Michael Hooper's one is different in that Michael Hooper has made a wrap. Michael Hooper hasn't gone high and he's just cleaned out as a normal in his normal sort of pattern as, as a clean out would. he's even gone low. So he's actually yep. lower than normal body height in that contact. The issue was that Sanchez was his head. He was in that, he was kind of like in Pocock's pilfer position, but he yep. hadn't, he didn't have the, the strong stance to be able to withhold the hit. So he was, it was unfortunate that Hooper ended up hitting him in the um, in the head and he did, I'm not, I can't say that he didn't make contact with his head, but the, the issue was that for me, the way that the two were um, refereed was that Angus Gardner said to Michael Hooper as he was giving the yellow card, he said, it's similar. It's, it's the same as the previous one when in actual fact, it wasn't because for me, the determining factor for the yellow card in the first one was the fact that it was a shoulder charge. That's the, that's the penalty offense then. And Michael Hooper's wasn't a shoulder charge. It was just a clean out. Now, World Rugby has to do something around their interpretation of the rules because you can't always put the onus on the tackler to pull out in an instance like that. Michael Hooper didn't have any intention to hit Sanchez in the head, but Sanchez has to do something different. Like the the defending player has to be able to support themselves in a way that they're not going to get their head into contact. There needs to be onus on the defending player as well. I don't think it can be all up so to a couple the attacking of, um, player
0: there. Yep. I've got a couple of facts I want to put in, not facts, um, quotes that I want to bring in to to kind of further what we're saying here. Okay. Yep. So the first one is from Michael Hooper in the press conference after the game where they, he's directly asked about the penalty and he at the yellow card, and he said the same thing as to what you're saying here is that, well, he didn't see them as being the same. He saw one being with a cocked arm and one where he was definitely trying to wrap. Yep. Um, and here is a direct quote. I've got to work out how I can clean him out in that position when he's trying to pilfer the ball. So he, he, he doesn't blame the referee entirely, but there's subtext to what he's saying there. Yeah. There's subtext of what am I meant to do when his head is down low exactly in the way and I'm getting down low trying to clear him out and there's nothing else I can hit. Um, wh- now I want to quote directly from the law book, Law 15.3. Uh, Okay, players involved in all stages of the rock must have their heads and shoulders no lower than they. So Sanchez undoubtedly has his head lower than his hips there because he's leaning forward over the ball, trying to pilfer it out. So yeah. it actually should be a free kick against him if we're going by the interpretation. By, by the written law yeah. but the game has been interpreting it very differently for a while and you can look at David Pocock pocock who we idolized within Australian rugby he was a horrible uh, proponent of this his head would always be lower um and so, the, in the
1: in those instances the reason that pocock didn't get more penalties in this instance was because he had the coarse ability to be able to withhold that hit so yeah, oftentimes yeah. the players would come through and hit pocock in the same position but because he's so strong over the ball he would just Stay on it, and it would they they would end up sort of riding over the back of him, and it would be play on. The instance here was that Sanchez sort of took the hit and then dive
0: backwards and sort of rolled around a little bit like a, as a back getting destroyed by a forward. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean the With- only the only last the only thing I just want to say about this is that World Rugby and they they do have a review. Uh, coming up next week that they're going to look at sort of the game at the moment and how they can officiate things differently, but the referees need to take a different approach to these two, the two incidences of a breakdown penalty and a high tackle like Lukan Salakai Loto. They yep. can't be viewed the same, the same way. And in this game, they actually were. So if you look at the framework they're going through, where was contact made? Where was it? Like he's hit its shoulder to head. If they're looking at both of these instances exactly the same, it's unfair to do so because I, w- I would say, in my opinion, that Lukan Salakailoto is guilty of doing that tackle because he's gone high. So he he's clearly made no effort to drop lower, whereas Michael Hooper has made every possible... I, I can't see anything that Michael Hooper can do differently apart from just not committing to that breakdown um, yep. that's going to stop. He can't do anything differently to not have that result or
0: coming in at an angle or crocodile rolling him both of which aren't legal
1: Well I mean you could so, also argue that um, Sanchez came in illegally to that breakdown because he sort yeah, of waddled yeah. into the side and then came at it but regardless like I understand like player welfare and safety is the biggest issue here I think they need to make I don't I don't know what they do I really don't know what they do because in that instance you do need to protect that player because he could have been seriously hurt. He could have had a neck injury from that kind of hit, but Michael Hooper hasn't done anything technically illegal either. Yep. So I and don't that's, know what they do. Yeah. I just. I that's don't... the thing.
0: Like the players need, yeah, I don't know exactly what to do in this situation, but I just feel for Hooper there because I don't believe that's his fault. No, at all. I believe he's shown pretty decent technique. It's just the fact that you've got Sanchez down so low and he's not a big guy. So when someone of Hooper's strength at pace comes and smashes it, he could well get hurt. But if, it's a, if you have a prop over the ball, you're not going to be talking about this. Exactly. This isn't going to be an issue. I mean, I um, guess the only but- thing we would
1: say is that you need to referee it a little like better in that you should be able to say that Michael Hooper hasn't actually done anything illegal here. Whereas mm. the and just saying that this one looks like the previous one is actually wrong, because the foul play from the previous one was the fact that it was a cock shoulder. Yeah. So and and that's just that's how they re, they reviewed this whole situation incorrectly. Yeah, I mean, look, been a penalty being... at all? That like should have been the yeah. penalty and play on.
0: Well, why don't we keep on moving forward then? Um, anything else? Oh, do you want to say anything about Sakai Lotos' one, or do you think we've covered that enough? No, as, as I said, it was his his responsibility to get low he's yep. that tall it's just it's
1: laziness and it was similar to um i've just had a mind blank six from Cremer. no our six that got the red card previously the Waratahs, Oh, swinton. Uh, swinton. Swinton. swinton it's exactly the same thing he's just gone into the contact standing up and there's yep. no excuse for that being that player of that height you're always going to get called for it
0: so yeah it reminds me of the dumb tackles that uh, like Rory Arnold and Will Skelton Sonny used Bill to do Williams. when they were tired. Yeah, they just get high within a tackle. Um, sometimes because a smaller player had stepped them. And so they kind of fling out an arm to try and get them because they're big guys and it ends up coat hangering somebody. Yeah. Um, but it just reminded me of lazy defending and it was just... He's going to be probably more annoyed than anybody else at his actions. He was on the field for nine minutes before he got red carded. I thought it was quite
1: interesting um, looking at Michael Hooper's reaction to it. So Angus Gardner has gone through the whole review with the the TMO and he said, okay, it's red. So he's called him over and he said, Michael, and Michael's over leading a huddle of the Wallabies players. He's like, Michael, Michael, he called him three times. And Hooper kind of just turned around and sort of cocked an ear out, but didn't move away from the huddle. And he's just yeah. so Angus is just like, okay, well, I'm carrying on. He's like, you've gone red. You've gone high. You made contact. It's a red. And then that was yeah. it. And you just walked off and Michael Huber was like, he knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why he's like, well, I'm not going to waste time. Yeah, it's know, like, why like, do like, I, I have to, I to walk over there for you the to tell me that it's a red? I know I'm not, I'm not arguing.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, anyway. Okay. Let's keep going. I have enough talking about cards. So what has to change moving forward uh, to start this conversation? I want to quote from Dave Rennie in his post-match press conference. And it's a very insightful quote. So let me enlighten you. We've got to turn pressure into points. Wow. That is an amazing, amazing piece of insight. And the, it's almost the like frustrating... I said
1: last week we just need to score more points than the opposition. And that's how we'll win. I know.
0: And and it's just like um, he is unraveling the magic of rugby. You've got to sp- score more points than the other po- sports ball team. But the frustrating thing is, this is a repeated sin that the Wallabies have been committing. It's its something that they keep on doing is that they are not effective at the conversion of their chances. And maybe we need to get like Brendan Shields on a podcast who does rugby ecology or something like that and get him on to talk about the conversion of attacking opportunities into points or look at the statistics of it. But It's just so challenging, like we spoke about earlier with the take the three question, that we continually game after game are just through basic errors or choosing not to take penalty kicks, missing opportunities for us to be applying scoreboard pressure. And so we're continually having to chase the game. Uh, The thing that one other thing that I think needs to change is I'm not so sold on Jordan Pattaya. But at the end yeah. of this series, I've come by the end him. of this series, I'm not uh as as hot for him as I was before. Yeah, I um I was already kind of on the fence
1: of Pataya initially. Like I knew that he had he'd been talked up a lot from Reds fans and that they were saying that he had the potential to be a game breaker, kind of like Kurtley Beale had been in the past. But I just hadn't seen enough from him and, and my view was that he was too injury prone. I guess the only good thing we can say is that he's made it through what three games now without getting any significant injury, but Mm. he just showed in this game that he's not ready for this level yet, that he made poor decisions so many times, which cost us cost us possession, but cost us scoring opportunities. So he'd make a break. And instead of looking for the offload, he'd put a little chip through, but not to the right where he had a player right on his hip that was making ground sort of to the left. And it would dribble, over the, the sideline. It just it looked like he didn't know what he was meant to be doing and that he was just sort of told to go out there, make breaks and score tries. That's what it kind of yeah. looked
0: like. I, I also struggled with his lack of um, ball security as well. The amount of times he drops the ball is just frustrating. His ball retention is really, really poor. Um, that's not that, the only are... one in this game. There no, was no, some, no. There was some really,
1: really poor... Um, ball retention by the Wallabies in this game. Rob Simmons dropped, I think, every single ball he touched if it wasn't in the lineout. And I don't know how he managed <laughs> to do it. There was one point where I remember in the game that he ran on, he did it like a pick and drive. So he got it off the base of the ruck and ran about two meters forward and got tackled and he dropped it going to ground. He was literally falling onto the ball and he dropped it yet Reese Hodge in the same torrential downpour was able to go for a high ball with pressure on and still catch it and land and and still take off. Like, how can you drop the ball that easily? It just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, so we're looking at ball retention as a a marvelously... uh, Catch and um, hold the ball. Analytical. Yeah, actually hold onto the ball. Wow, crazy. Wow, actually take the points and convert pressure into points. These are incredible. But you know what? There's actually... I think I said this last week in that it's not all doom and gloom for the Wallabies moving forward. I actually think we have the core of a really good team. Yeah, we do. Moving forward. And a lot of these issues are team experience, like team gelling together. Like you'll, Pattaya will make better decisions in the future because he will have more experience of bad decisions that he's made. So hopefully he's going to learn from that and adjust his decision-making when under pressure. Um, He's going to have another full season of Super Rugby ahead of him, likely at the Reds playing 13. It's quite possible that you'll have Paisami at 12 and Pataia at 13 with Hamish Stewart either at 15 or as a utility back on the bench as cover. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if we see that. And that with an extra season under their belt, I think the Wallabies are going to be on an upwards trend next year, but there's just been these moments of frustration, which is characterized by young and inexperienced teams. Yeah. I think for me, the biggest issue with the Wallabies at the moment is their backline.
1: Um, I think mm. our forward pack's quite set and I was fairly impressed with the Fords for this game. They did what they needed to do. Tupo came on and, and got a penalty in his first scrum, which I thought was amazing. And I was hoping he'd do that for the rest of the game, but he didn't quite seem to be able to get the hit on his opposition. Um, but yeah, the, the backline just, I, we've been hit really badly by Tamua's injury. I think mm. if we had James O'Connor and Tamua throughout this campaign together consistently at 10 and 12, things would have been different, but yeah. we've had to play players out of position. We've had to blood some players who probably aren't quite ready yet for test rugby. I mean, Tom Wright played well in his first test, but he I wouldn't say he played well last, um, this week. He kicked away possession a little bit that didn't really need to happen. He kind of looked a little bit lost at times. I just think there's some guys in that back line who just aren't quite, maybe even old enough to be starting for Australia. I think another yeah. season of super rugby will really give them um, the confidence that they need and just the game awareness to be able to solidify their spot, back themselves know what they need to do and just focus on their job where at the moment we don't, they just seem to be all over the place. And the biggest issue that we had in this sort of tournament, particularly leading up to the the latter end of it was that our back line just wasn't able to make ground or make any line breaks. So they would get the ball and then either make contact and, and go to ground, but we weren't sort of, we weren't doing anything with the ball. So when we had possession, we didn't go anywhere with it. And I think that is the biggest thing for us moving forward is we actually need to be able to learn how to convert possession into points. Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, And with that comes reliable goal kicker. I mean, poor Reese Hodge, he's had three opportunities to win games in three matches and he's missed each one. And so you don't inherently blame the kicker for those uh, because it, it is a team effort over the course of the full 80 minutes. But I mean, the one last night wasn't that impossible. Um, on Saturday night, wasn't that impossible? Wasn't it that bad an angle? Yeah, he um, actually
1: had a harder kick for the conversion previously, and he nailed that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do, I do think that it's probably mental for him now.
0: Yeah, I think. I so. think
1: in that instance, if some, if we're getting a kick to win the game on the final on the bell, Reese Hodge isn't our man because we need someone like Foley who has done it before and was and has mm-hmm. shown that he's able to st- step up and take that pressure and, and convert it. I, I even think that it's a confidence thing that maybe if Hodge had got that first kick in Bledisloe 1 this year and we had won against the All Blacks, maybe he would have nailed all of these last three games. But the fact that he missed and then he did it again and then he did it again, poor bloke, probably he's not going to be able to convert a penalty um, close in the last probably 10, 15 minutes of a game for the Rebels next year either.
0: <laughs> yep. Well, why don't we shift now to our listener questions? We'll wrap up the kind of general chat there because there, there are some questions that... Oh, actually, this is a perfect one. Um, let's, let's jump to Hugh T- Tindall's response oh, no. to us on Twitter. Uh, Will Hodge need counselling after the poor pugger goes 0 for 3 in a late game match win penalties? Uh, yeah, he'll need big cuddles he'll need a lot of back rubs and he'll need to exercise those demons and get them out of his mind because I don't know maybe he needs to speak to James O'Connor about being broken down and reformed isn't he man That's true or something That's true. like maybe that you need so to
1: mentor him take him up yeah. onto the the mountaintop I don't know.
0: Yeah, what is it? Savior, your, savior, your, savior your world. Savior world. So maybe yeah. research needs to link up with Savior World. But yes, the poor bugger does need some help. <laughs> and I will say uh, one thing, and I don't know, it's, it's never really been
1: publicized, and I don't know if the Wallabies actually do this, but I really think that one thing that Australian teams in general have been lacking about in the last few years is just confidence. So I don't mm-hmm. know if they've got some kind of mental coach or a psychologist, um, a sports yeah, psychologist. psychologist, sports be. psychologist. That's the word. The mental coach, (laughs) the sports psychologist (laughs) who's working with them to be able to turn those things around, to be able to look at the positives of those situations and go, no, next time that happens, I'm gonna be able to to work at my best. Because I'm sure they do. Surely all major sports organizations do. You would think that they would. You would think that they would, being the best of Australian rugby. But it just it's been so many times in the last few years where we get to that final hurdle and we're not able to convert it. We get yep. so close to getting that one game that's going to get like get the Bledisloe back on track, and we don't seem to be able to convert it against New Zealand. And mm. we've got too much baggage there. Reese Hodge is now going to have baggage for taking these shots. I just I hope that they've got some professional that's in there working with them that's going to be able to to change
0: this, particularly for these young guys coming through. Mitch Evans asks, what score would you give the Wallabies performance overall and which match best encapsulates the season? We'll save the second part of that question for next week yeah for our uh, review um, and hopefully we'll be addressing it next week but uh, Mitch if you were to say out of 10 we'll be score for the match on the weekend for the on the weekend yeah yeah four game. four Four. yeah I was going to say five Um, four or five and I mean I know we didn't lose but we also didn't win and but we also didn't just, play we just didn't play yeah. smartly
1: like we didn't play to the conditions yep, yep. agreed
0: so I 4. knew it was
1: going to rain me. I brought a raincoat I knew
0: it was going to rain surely <laughs> they knew it was going to rain yep uh, we also have Mark um, on Twitter who's asked, Wallaby's best midfield? Is it best to have a playmaker at 12 or specialist crash ball, crash ball option? Is Pattaya the best option at 13 or could we be considered at 15 to best suit his talent? Um, look, I think Pattaya is going to really benefit from having a full Super Rugby season under his belt again in the coming Super AU, um, as well as playing against Kiwi opposition in the uh in, in the competition, the trans-Tasman comp that will be happening after the AU has finished up. Best midfield, I think, has Tamua at 12. Yep. In my mind, the best midfield has Tamu at 12. What do you do with Paisami and Pattaya then? I actually think Pasa- Paisami has been better than Jordan Pattaya. Yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of uh, Paisami coming into this series. Yeah, I didn't think he had the passing and kicking game to be a 12. But... Whilst he hasn't been incredible, he's also just been solid. He's been decent throughout. And I think having him at 13, he is a good crash ball option at 13. But he's also shown that he can develop some more of the handling skills and kicking skills that make me wonder if down the track he could... And hear me right with this. I mean, maybe, possibly down the track he could be someone like nonu who starts as a strong physical crash ball presence who develops a wider skill set later throughout his career i wonder if that's going to be the path that he takes and i hope it does well it's going to um, need to grow his hair out first of all he surely he can do that i believe in him yeah I think but if you were to select best midfield at this point discounting injuries uh let's just go the 9 10 12 axes to start with who are you putting there so does tamuwa count or not is he out
1: everyone everyone's available no oh, runs available. Cool. Available. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, nine. Look, it's the one thing I just want to say in regards to this is I was really disappointed that we didn't get to see any Tate McDermott, um, any mm. of Tate McDermott from this series. I think that he potentially holds a key that's going to unlock the Wallabies a little bit. Um, so I would have liked to see him at nine. But from what we've currently seen, it has to be Nick White. He's the best nine we've got at the moment and the most experienced. So him at nine, James O'Connor at 10, and Matt Timmer at 12. Yep. Yeah, and Paisami at 13 for me
0: yeah. as well. Yeah. And wingers, I mean, you've got to keep Corbetti because he's a gun when he's on form. 15 is still a pretty big hole. I agree with putting Hodge there. Um, I think he is a good option at this point in time until someone else kind of stands up to really nail that and claim it as their own. His versatility and boot for touch finders is just too significant to leave out of the team at this point. And he was Uh,
1: like, he was solid as the 15. He wasn't any worse
0: than any other
1: 15s we've seen who were out and out with 15s. So um, he he was as good as Tom Banks and, um, yeah, I was actually impressed with him. He was good under the high ball. Yep. He kicks better than Dane Hale at petty So for me, I, I actually think he's probably the best fifteen we've currently got. Yep. Yeah.
0: I think yeah, he's at least shown from that performance that he can hold his own in that position, um, which is which is a credit to him. And a lot of people have been calling for him to actually just be a fifteen. I'd like to see him as the choice at fifteen at the Rebels moving yep. forward, and just for the entire season, he is the locked in fifteen. on Unless I mean, the
1: problem is that Dane Hale at petty is the
0: captain. I know. I know. So what do you do? Move Halo Petty to the wing. That's probably not gonna happen. Just bench so, him and oh, name someone else. Select a new captain. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's rough. So anyway, select on your other wing. Oh, don't do this to me. Um, I just Come don't on. rate You're roll. Don't, I just don't rate Dungunu as much as a lot of people seem to. Um, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Tom Wright. I'm yeah. Yeah, Tom Wright would probably be it uh, at this point. James Ram? No, because I haven't seen enough of him at international level. Plus, he only broke any of him. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah we I, any
1: I'd time. be sticking with Dungunu. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: He's a, for me, he's a confidence player. But if we can get a few good touches out of him early, he'll be much better. Like he showed that in Bledisloe 1 this year. He came onto the field and he did really, really well and he had a few good early touches. Um, he's kind of like Jack Maddox in that way. But If he gets a few good touches early and and some good contribution to the team, he can actually play quite well. But if he does a few things sort of off early, then he's kind of gone, which hopefully that sports doctor can fix up.
0: Well, why don't we finish here, my friend? I think that we've gone through the questions that we had provided. We've gone through the listener commentary. Is there anything you want to touch on before we finish up?
1: No, I think we just look to next week now. So the plan for next week is we're going to look at each of the teams, the tri-nations sort of give them a a review of probably give them similar what we did tonight, give them a score out of 10 of how we thought their campaign went. Yep. Talk about some of the kind of key players and key moments of the season. Um, And then if you've got any, and we'll go to each single team. So we'll look at the Wallabies, Argentina and New Zealand individually. And then if you've got any questions you'd like us to talk about, particularly if you're a fan following one of those other teams it's not the wallabies we'd love for you to send them through um and then
0: we'll have we'll be able to answer those questions and and get some of your thoughts around it as well And the other thing we want to say is that after that podcast, unless we have the opportunity to do like a special interview or something like that, we're probably going to take a break for the Chrissy period Mm -hmm. and Christmas and New Year period, but then come back in early to mid January to do a fairly lengthy preview into the Super Rugby AU competition. So we're looking to do one episode per week per Australian team and do a bit of an in-depth chat and analysis about the squads and what they would be looking forward to and hoping for for the upcoming Super AU season. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's finish things there. Thank you to everybody who made it to this point. Have a wonderful week, and we will catch you later. Bye. Bye.